Good morning, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Security Confidential. Uh, we are really honored to have Ida Abdulkani with join us this morning. Ida is the CEO of Ability to Engage and the chief catalyzer at her company. Uh, she is a former global brand manager at Procter & Gamble. Uh, Ida has had some very interesting life experiences, and she is a laughter yoga coach as well. I think I got that right. I at least yes, I hope yes. I did, uh, Ida. Yes, uh, so, yes. Ida, welcome to the show. Thank you for um, joining us this morning. Thank you for having me. I'm I'm excited to be here and get to talk with you today. And you know, we talk a lot about personal development uh, on this program uh, from a career perspective because cybersecurity is such a growing area. Mm -hmm. And it represents a huge opportunity for young people to who are looking to uh, get into a high growth place or for even those folks who may be looking for a career change and are willing to put in the training and uh, think a little differently that, mm -hmm. uh, you know, personal development uh, is a big deal and uh, done right, I think it can yield very fruitful results. And uh, so, you know, with that, I, I would like to learn a lot more about you. You know, how do you go? You know, just in the intro, global brand manager at Procter & Gamble, one of the world's largest companies, uh, to the CEO of Ability to Engage. How does that happen? Yeah, <laughs> that's a great question. Um, it was completely unplanned. My journey just, you know, evolved in a very natural way. So you mentioned, you know, I went to Ohio State and my MBA was in strategy and marketing and I'd interned at Procter & Gamble. And so, you know, I went straight from the MBA program to P&G. I'd interned in the brand management department. And so I knew I wanted to do brand. I was super passionate, very excited about it. And I really loved P&G. I mean, P&G is a phenomenal company. I'm actually still involved with them. I'm on their board of directors for their alumni network. I mean, I, I loved P&G. The issue that came about for me was over time, I started to feel disenchanted with corporate America in general. Right. Um, and also, um, just was just feeling this kind of angst as I started going into work. I was feeling unhappy when I was going into work. I used to be so excited. I would kind of bounce out of bed with lots of energy and excited for the day, um, you know, and every day was different in brand management. It's like running a business. And so every day there was a new problem to solve. And I loved that. Um, and PNG being such a big company, I had global roles, you know, so I was dealing with different countries and different cultures and learning about brand management in different parts of the world. So it was interesting. It kept me very energized. Um, but then after a point, after I think about five years or so into it, I started waking up and just starting to ask myself, can I do this for the rest of my life? So I think some of that newness factor had worn off. And even though the work was still interesting, I started to think longer term and started to ask myself if I could actually be happy doing this day in and day out. Uh, kind of forever more, right, for the rest of my career. I and think most of America can relate to what you are saying right now, so please continue. Yes. A <laughs> yeah. lot of folks uh, are, are thinking the same way. They may not even admit it to themselves, but yes. certainly thinking the same ways. Yeah, so yeah, please. exactly. And so it happened for me early on in my career. I was in my late 20s. 
Um, and I realized the answer for me was no. I mean, I couldn't see myself in that environment for the rest of my career. And it was not going to be a happy place for me forevermore. And I could have stayed longer, definitely, um, but it wasn't a forever type of thing. So once I realized that it was not the forever place for me, um, I knew that I had to make a change, but I had no idea really how to do that. Um, you know, with my MBA being in marketing and strategy, for me, it was a really big upheaval, this idea of leaving P&G. I mean, P&G is the number one brand company in the world. So if I'm doing brand strategy, and I love brand strategy, but I don't like the environment I'm in, like, what do I do with that? You know, so I started thinking, well, maybe I need to go back to school and like, get a degree in something else. Or maybe I need to go to nonprofit type of stuff and explore that world. Maybe I need to become a teacher. Both my parents are professors. So I started thinking about teaching. So anyways, it was um, a pretty scary time in, in that sense. And that um, I really had no idea what the heck to do. And it felt like a very big upheaval. But for me, what helped me get through that was just knowing that I was using at least a process of elimination, which was that what I was doing was not working. And so that was enough for me to quit and turn in my resignation and say, I will figure it out. I don't know what the answer is, but I know what the answer isn't. And it's not continuing to stay in something that makes me unhappy. And so I turned in my resignation and um, I had I had no job, you know, so it's always um, it's it's a funny thing to talk about sometimes because usually people won't quit a job until they know what's next. That's right. And that's yeah. a very gutsy move. Right. Uh, and I would think um, your parents, you know, being professors, which is a very secure place to be. Did, did they relate well to that transition? <laughs> Not so well. I mean, they. my dad's number one thing, I always joke about it, is he said, what are you going to do for health insurance? You know, that was his biggest thing is like, if you, you know, you're not, you're not, uh, you're too old to be on your parents' health insurance now, right? And you're not in school and you are quitting your job. Like, what are you, that for him was such a big deal. And I was like, don't worry, dad, I'll figure it out. Um, but they did, they did support me for sure once they really understood um, you know, the, the unhappiness. I mean, no parent wants their child to be unhappy, right? Absolutely. Everybody wants, wants their child to be happy. And so once they understood that, um, you know, this was not just like a little hiccup of, oh, she doesn't like a project or a manager, you know what I mean? Like this was right. a much holistic type of thing. They were totally on board, very supportive. Um, as was my brother, my brother, you know, was actually one of my top supporters and encouragers saying, Ida, you were an entrepreneur when you were a kid. Like, you're going to figure this out. You have so many creative ideas, you know, and he really encouraged me, um, which was which was fantastic. And so, anyways, long story short, I quit. I didn't know what I was doing. I had no clue what to do next. And so I was in a very um, blessed position. I recognize that not everybody can do this. But, you know, being in my late 20s, I had the ability to just take time off and not have to worry too much about things. I'd kind of planned out my mortgage payments and, and that kind of stuff in wow. advance. Um, and so I, I kind of had all of the, the financials put together for that. And it was just me, you know, no kids, wasn't married. I could just take care of myself. So I recognize that puts me in a different position than a lot of people maybe thinking about leaving their jobs. You have other considerations sometimes. Um, but I decided that that, you know, was an opportunity for me to kind of explore, you know, when would I have this chance again? Uh, I can tell you uh, your 
looking at one of those people because <laughs> I left a, a very nice corporate role and mm -hmm. said, you know what, I'm going to go start a cybersecurity company with some of my friends. Yeah. Now, uh, at the young age of 47 or 48, you know, where you have kids in college and, yeah. uh, you know, all the financial obligations that go along with that. And yeah. it was a very scary decision. Yes. And, yeah. um, and I would be lying if I said it didn't cause angst right it's not one that you make lightly so i can understand uh, the emotional journey and it is very much a journey because at some point you have to decide what it is that you're going to do with your life yep. for yourself and um it may work out it may not but if you don't take that chance that's a big regret that one's going to have and the reality of it is that once at least in my case once I dove into the deep end of the pool. Um, there was a realization that, uh, you know, a lot of life is lived in fear, yes. right? And a lot of the decisions that we make are based on fear, yeah. fear of the unknown, fear of, you know, fear of what will happen if I do something wrong, fear of this and that, and yeah. that all vanishes over time. Yeah. And and you walk away and you turn back and look and say, you know what? I don't know why I waited so long to do all these things, but yeah, that's a little bit about my journey. But I so but I can understand a little bit what you're saying. Yeah, no, and it resonates. I mean, everything that you're saying resonates with me. That um, you know, we don't do a lot of things in life, not because we don't want to, but because we're scared to. And that you know, getting on the other side of fear is so important to be able to realize our dreams. Um, and that's something that I think is a, you know, constant evolution for all of us throughout our life. You know, as we get older, there's um, a psychological theory that says that we move from what's called promotion motivation to okay. prevention motivation. I always uh, recommend to people that if they are scared to take something new on, to take baby steps, like do something. If you're scared, if you have this big idea, let's say you want to start a new business and you're scared about quitting your job, you know, getting capital funding, whatever it may be to just kind of go all in on this dream of yours is to start with smaller dreams and build your way there, build your confidence. I mean, of course I'm a proponent of just jumping right in, but that That's doesn't work did. for everybody. <laughs> yeah. But that doesn't work everybody but I do think that a way to get there and build your way there is to take smaller steps do things that are maybe a you know what I would call like a smaller dream you know one of those things that maybe has less risk but still has some risk and you get acclimated to this idea of okay it, it can work it's okay right or like you said even if it doesn't work you still learn something and so you kind of create muscle memory in a way of how to work through fear and then you can kind of get yourself to those bigger goals yeah you know um to a degree and this is just my personal opinion i i think security is somewhat of, of an illusion mm -hmm. and uh you know having worked for the last 30 years or so in um a good chunk of that in corporate America. I do think security, I, I mean, you just look at what happens 
uh, with I've seen people who worked for a company for 25 years and they got laid off and uh, yeah. their lives absolutely fell apart. They didn't know what to do uh, when that event happened uh, because they had always assumed that I'm going to have, you know, today, this is my routine. I'm going to get up. I'm going to go to work. I'm going to do this, this, and this. And, and any disruption in that uh, caused a massive uh, shift in, in, in their thinking and sometimes not for the better. Right. But if we start with the ideation that, you know, security is a bit of an illusion, mm -hmm. right? And build on that. I, I, if we could teach young people a little bit about that, you know, you don't always, you know, security is not, it, it's, it's a state of mind, really. It's not, it's not a state of life. <laughs> yep. I, I completely agree. I mean, one of the things that I always tell people when I speak is that you can absolutely fail at the things that you thought were completely secure, right? So just like your example of working at a company, right? And then getting laid off 25 years in, like having a corporate job or, you know, being employed by somebody else, just as an example, since we're talking about business stuff here, does not really give you any added level of security versus going out on your own. You know, in some ways you could argue that going out on your own is more secure and that you're the one calling the shots. So you're in total control. You're not, you know, having to uh, look to somebody else to tell you what to do and if you have a job or not, right? But so now you're responsible, <laughs> right? And that's, yeah. a, that's a big thing. Yeah, you're right. You were about to say, you know, now you're not having to look at somebody else to tell you what to do. But when you yep. make that decision, you can't blame somebody else for the outcome. Yeah. You're, you're taking ownership. You know, one thing um, that uh, I came across when I watched your TED talk was you talked about backpacking and that being uh, somewhat of an experience for you. Can yeah. you, uh, you know, I, I've done backpacking, but in the forest and uh, and I'm at home sleeping in my bed at night. So uh, <laughs> that's yeah, my definition of this yeah. Is, yeah, I'm sure you're talking about a different, yeah, so tell us a little bit about that. How did that? Yeah, so this was actually, so after I quit my job, um, I mentioned that, you know, I just had time off. I didn't have another job to go to. I didn't know what I was doing. When I quit, I didn't know I was going to become an entrepreneur. I didn't know that I was going to start Ability to Engage. And so um, what I did is I just, you know, actually went to my bucket list. I have a bucket list written down and I started looking at all the things I said I wanted to accomplish or do in my life. And one of them on there was backpacking around the world. And I have, I'm a very organized person. So in my list, I have, you know, a table, it says the item, and then it even has a goal, like hopefully do this by certain age. And it said, um, by the time I was 60. So my idea had always been, you know, retire a little bit early and then backpack around the world. Okay. And as I was looking at my bucket list, I thought, why should I wait until I'm 60? You know, I've got the time now and who knows if I'll even be alive at 60, who knows what the world, you know, will bring. So let's do it. So I bought a one-way ticket to Europe and I went backpacking around the world for eight months. I sold part of my PNG retirement fund so that thank you PNG they funded my backpacking trip. Um, I took the penalties wow, and all you, that. Are you a gambler? Because you really <laughs> bet. I, I, <laughs> yeah, 
Yeah, I mean, I will say that there were a lot of people that told me not to, you know, sell sell the retirement, you know, because you do take penalties and all that kind of stuff when you're, you know, under 59 and a half. But I, you know, I wanted to, to travel and I wanted to make it happen. And so um, that helped fund me. And I went around the world basically until my money ran out, which was about eight months. Um, and I was able to go to 50 countries. And wow. it was in that journey. So I spent time in Europe, the Middle East, um, South America and Central America on that. Uh, you trip. backpacked in the Middle East? Yeah. yeah. I think our audience would find that, I find that interesting. Like what part of the Middle East? Yeah, that was, I mean, it was also during the Arab Spring. So I will say it was not necessarily the safest time to, to be going to some of those countries. There were some places that I could not visit. Um, because of, of things that were going on. Um, but I went to, let's see, Kuwait, um, UAE, Qatar, Oman. Um, there's there's a few more. So I was I was there for about, I want to say eight weeks, about two months. I went around and it, oh, Bahrain. I forgot Bahrain. Yeah. Wow, so anyways, that's incredible. I, it was amazing. It was and this was actually as a backpacker, like we see a lot of kids doing in Europe where you know the, all they got is a backpack and they're walking. Yeah, they're much more difficult though in the Middle East. It, it doesn't have a backpacker infrastructure, right? So like Europe has all these hostels and you know you can get around everywhere with public transportation pretty easily. Um, South America was a little bit harder uh, in terms of backpacking, but there was some stuff, you know, there are hostels and things like that. The transportation was a little bit more difficult, but the hostel infrastructure was there. Um, the Middle East, the, I mean, I didn't find any hostels, so I stayed in hotels. I also had a lot of friends um, that were working there, like friends from the U.S. that were over um, in some of those countries. And so in the countries that I had friends, I would stay with friends. So it all, it all worked out, and it was an amazing experience. I'm Middle Eastern myself, and so for me, um, it very much actually felt like home, um, you know, cultural differences, of course, anywhere that you go every, right. I mean, even if you travel in the U.S., right, uh, parts of the U.S. are very different from each other as you travel Absolutely. across the United yeah. States. So there's a lot of differences as you travel from country to country, um, but in a lot of ways, also, there were similarities to my own culture. And so um, it felt also very much like I was at home in some ways. So it was an amazing experience everywhere that I went. I, I thoroughly enjoyed it and learned a lot. What about South America? You mentioned that as well. Uh, that yeah. I've never been, but I imagine as a backpacker, at least uh, it, it, there seems to be some very beautiful places to visit there. What, what yeah. was that experience like? Yeah, it was um, amazing. I'd been to South America before um, in some previous travels, but this was... For me, I focused on new places. You know, for me, this was a, a focus on exploration and learning new things. So I went to some different countries that I had not been to before. Um, I absolutely love um, the culture. It's a very hospitable um, way of life and way of being. So very much, I think also like my own culture, I'm Persian and Middle Eastern culture uh, tends to be very open, inviting, like have family over, have friends over, right? my house is your house type of thing. And South American culture is also very much like that. And so um, it felt very much like home too. You know, I mean, that's the amazing thing for me traveling. 
really showed me that we're all way more alike than we are different. That was a huge eye-opening insight for me. Because I think when you look at the media and you read things, you know, in the news and especially nowadays, right, there's right. a lot of divisiveness. There's a lot of um, pitting people against each other. And traveling just really opened my eyes to how similar we all really are. And that actually was what gave me the idea for ability to engage that um, we're more alike than we are different. And I wanted to focus on how can we bring those types of insights to, uh, to companies doing uh, targeting work, consumer audience type of work, and bridge that type of insight around kind of core motivational human understanding to brand strategy and innovation. So the backpacking actually right. got me to entrepreneurship and ability to engage. So it was kind of that free time of exploration where I just was like taking time off and had no agenda. But actually through that is how I learned more about what felt right and what I wanted to do. That is uh, a journey none of us would have ever guessed. You know, that interrelationship <laughs> from backpacking to entrepreneurship. Yeah. I would not have made that. It's not an obvious connection to make. Yeah. But yep. but if we take that ideation that, you know, to uh, a large degree, entrepreneurship is a mindset and you did something that exposed you to a different mindset and then capitalized on it. Uh, you know, if backpacking is not your thing, then you could, I guess we could achieve that in another different way. But that's a very Absolutely. cool journey. It's still a journey. Yes. Yes, exactly. And it was, I call it my eat, pray, love stage of life. Uh, if you're familiar with Elizabeth Gilbert's book or yeah. the movie that's come out, um, because it really was just about exploration. So, you know, it, it's not about the backpacking for me. My journey happened to be through backpacking and exploration of different cultures and different parts of the world. But, you know, I think for anybody, the important thing is when you're at a transition in life is just to give yourself some time to pause. You know, we always want to move, I think, to the next thing. And that's kind of the way society um, trains us to think is that what's next, what's next. And I'll be happy when we're, we're often placing our happiness into the future. I'll be happy when I get this promotion. I'll be happy when I buy this house. You know, I'll be happy when uh, I go right. on this trip. Right. But we should be happy now. And part of part of I think training ourselves to be able to be happy now is being able to slow down, to pause, and to really let ourselves have some time with our own thoughts, not constantly be surrounded by other people's thoughts and what society wants and what Instagram is saying, you know, what right. the news is saying. Um, so even if it, you know, for me, it was backpacking, but I do think it's achievable for anybody to create that pause in their life and to create that time with themselves, right? It can be taking a walk in the park and making sure that you know, maybe you do that every day for 20 minutes, right? Or maybe you go once a week for an hour or whatever it might be, go camping, like just finding a way to carve out that time for yourself, I think is so important on the journey. Disrupt the everyday patterns a little bit. Yes, and yes, exactly. Might give you a chance to look at things in a different light. Yep, yep, at least I that's what, that's That's a little bit of what I, I heard there, but, uh, and that's a very important concept. And And, you know, you mentioned, you know, we are happy when, you know, that I think that is in itself a big problem statement. Uh, and certainly mm -hmm. anyone that's looking at changing their career or entrepreneurship or uh, any kind of a major event, 
that attitude has to shift from I'll be happy when because it, it's in, it's in, it's actually impossible to be happy when because it's a future statement right and exactly. neither yeah. you nor I can live in the future because we just live now right that's so it's a it's a catch-22 there you can't live in the future it's in, yeah, and I, I recommend to people if they're really struggling, if they've got a lot of barriers they're trying to overcome and taking that next step, right, to be able to achieve a dream or trying to achieve that happiness more presently, right, more in the now. Um, I, I do this for creative thinking. It's one of the key things that, um, I, so I also teach uh, some courses at the university level around creativity and innovation thinking. And um, in those classes, I talk about this method, but it applies to life. And, and I've used it in my own life and others have coached others on it as well, okay. which is make a list of the three things you need to stop doing and the three things you need to start doing to get yourself closer to that dream or closer to whatever that goal might be. So if you have a goal of, you know, living more presently, what are the three things you need to stop doing right now? And the three things you need to start doing to enable that? Because a lot of times um, we get stuck with these artificial barriers, right? We say we can't do this because of X, Y, and Z. In reality, we can always work through any of those barriers. Those barriers are movable but we can overcome them like for example this idea of me backpacking around the world i can't tell you how many friends told me like when i first went upon that journey they were like oh my gosh i can't believe it you're so lucky i could never do that you know i'm like yeah you can why why couldn't you oh well i have a job quit you can quit <laughs> right i quit right um oh well even if i quit i wouldn't have the money okay well maybe you can figure out a way right maybe like for me i figured out a way by selling part of my retirement fund that was not an obvious choice or answer right that right. is one of the things that most people would say i can't do that i can't touch that what is it for you in your life you know maybe it is i'm going to stop getting my starbucks coffee five days a week and i will start to put that money towards a travel fund right you know so that actually could at five bucks a pop that's going to add up <laughs> quite rapidly so tell me was there a surprising insight that you stumbled upon when i was traveling or in the yeah, what it, journey? yeah that you know well the work you're doing at ability to engage was there some thought that came to mind was there an epiphany that happened in all these journeys that you took that yeah. really changed yeah the way you were running your company or the way you're promoting yourself or I, you tell me, I, I'm. Yeah, I'm absolutely. Curious. Was there, was there a moment that, that Thomas Edison moment? I know these thousand things don't work, but gosh darn it. I found that one thing that. <laughs> yeah, that no, absolutely. I mean, you mentioned <laughs> that of course, you know, for all of us, I think it's, it's much easier to say live in the moment. It's much harder to actually do it. Right. And I, myself, uh, here I am talking about it, but of course, you know, I also kind of stumble and fall along that journey and start thinking about the future all the time. And one of the big ways that I did it, I'm much better about living in the present when I think about my personal life. Uh, professionally, it's always been harder. Professionally, I am uh, much more kind of thinking about the future, planning for the future. And what I found myself doing was getting frustrated when we wouldn't hit certain goals, right? At the beginning, you just, as an entrepreneur, I mean, there's just so many things that come at come at you. You can plan as much as you want, and there's always going to be something that happens that you didn't anticipate. And so what I learned was that I needed to just focus on this idea of progress, 
not so much on the outcomes. I can have the outcomes, I can plan, I can have the goals, but really focus on the journey and the progress. And so my mantra is be better than yesterday. It's a great mantra, I think, for me as an individual, but also for me as a businesswoman, is that every day I want to just make sure that I'm progressing our business and ability to engage, that I'm learning from the day before and pulling that into today to make ourselves a better organization, to make me a better person. So I would say that has kind of been my big aha is that you don't have to solve the world's problems now, you know, you've got time to do that. And so you really just have to focus on what can you change today and what have you learned from the day before to make it a better present moment. There's that statistic that 90% of all startups fail. Uh, but there's also, I wonder how many of those startups that failed or organizations or people that might say, well, I failed at, at that. How many of those people actually uh, didn't finish the race? They, they were so close to the finish line, but they just said, forget it, you know, just, right. just threw, threw in, the, in towel. the towel. Yeah. And had they just stuck it out for another day, another yeah. month, another minute. Yeah. They, they were so close yet so far, I guess. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, grit and perseverance. I mean, those are two of the most important things in entrepreneurship is that, you know, all entrepreneurs will be faced with adversity. I mean, it's just like impossible, I think, to not be right. faced with that. That's a given. And yeah, it's a given. And so it really is about, you know, I think the individual being able to persevere, you know, and not throw in the towel and say, okay, I was knocked down, but I'm going to figure out a way. I'm going to get back up. And I do think, I think you're right. You know, that statistic is, um, not giving us the whole picture because right. uh, we don't know, you know, how far in did people go? How much did they lean in? And, you know, um, how long did they try to persevere before they kind of took themselves out of the race? Exactly. Agreed. Now you're, you're teaching uh, folks about innovation. How, I guess uh, the question is, how can you teach innovation? Like, how do you, yeah. how do you, quote unquote, force innovation or? Yeah, yeah. so the, so it's interesting, this idea of can you force it or not? I mean, I agree with you to an extent, right? You can't just tell somebody on command, give me a good idea, right? Give me an innovative idea. Um, some people can do it, right? Some people that maybe are uh, more of a creative or right brain thinker might be able to just give you something off the, you know, off the cuff with no stimulus whatsoever. Um, but for a lot of people, it's much more difficult. But I do think that anybody can learn how to be more innovative. So just like mathematics or, you know, chemistry or any type of subject, innovation is also something that you can learn your way through. And what I mean by that is that there are exercises and things that we can do to help us kind of open up that right side of our brain, the more creative side of the brain to start uh, enabling ideas to flow. Um, so an example of that, one of the things I teach in my course and something that I do for uh, some of our clients as well when we do design thinking or innovation sessions is I talk about the idea of vertical thinking versus lateral thinking. And that's just a concept that, that helps 
um, define different approaches to problem solving. And so vertical thinking is the idea that it is linear, right? It's vertical, it goes straight up. So if A then B, if B then C, right? You kind of go through this logical, rational route okay. and that will get you to an answer. It'll get you to a solution. So with vertical thinking, typically when you have a problem, you come up with one answer because it's linear. A way to flip that is to simply say, okay, I don't want to think linearly. I'm going to relax linear thought. And that is called um, lateral thinking. Lateral thinking is the idea of being divergent. And so you have a problem, same thing, you can start with one problem, but you will end up with lots of different possible solutions. Now, not all of the solutions are necessarily going to work or to apply to your situation. But what you do is by relaxing that linear thinking and saying, okay, um, I like, let's say with potato chips, an example might be vertical thinking would be coming out with different flavors. Okay. Kind of like a rational, right? Logical way linear. I've already got my base of potato chips and I know how to make them. So my innovation is going to be flavors. I can proliferate a lot of different flavors. Yeah. Lateral thinking for potato chips might be, well, what could I do with the bag? Like, what if I kind of disassemble, I've got all these different pieces and parts, right? So maybe I can use those bags and I can make purses out of them, or I could make belts and clothing, or I could make a basket out of the bags. And then, okay, the chips themselves. Well, what if I uh, produce them in a different way? Like, what if I make a big um, tortilla shell, you know, for a salad? What if I um, put the ingredients into cookies or come up with, you know, a different variation? That would be more of lateral thinking is um, not having to take that linear rational route of, this is my frame of reference. And so I'm going to innovate down a line, but I'm going to kind of break that frame of reference and say, I can pull innovation from anywhere. Now, you're going to have a lot more ideas. And again, it doesn't mean that you use every idea. And some of them, right. like when I said about maybe putting chips and cookies, maybe you decide as the, the chip manufacturer, we don't want to get into cookies, right? We don't, we don't want to go that right. route. But, but you know what, we want to make baskets, we're going to use we have all this extra, you know, packaging that gets wasted every year. And we're going to use that packaging, we're going to start to produce baskets out of them, right? Like, so you get ideas that you wouldn't have gotten through the vertical thinking route. So anyways, that's just one example. I do think that there are ways and there are exercises to get yourself to be more innovative. And just like any other subject, you have to practice. And the more you practice, the more than you will naturally start to think about these things on your own without needing a prompt or you know needing a facilitator to take you through it you know we follow blue ocean strategy which long long story short if somebody wants to read the 800 pages on this topic they can but i'll we boil it down to something very simple you need to create value innovation mm -hmm. okay. so innovation can take many forms it can be totally a new new concept, new technology, new product, that's innovation. But you can also innovate on the existing with value innovation. And mm -hmm. we do that, you know, when we look at, we have 1500 competitors in North America. So that's a lot of competition. And differentiation for us is absolutely paramount to our success. Mm -hmm. uh, and people are like, well, you guys do cybersecurity. Well, so does everybody else, you know, at a, million foot level that's that's a true statement but how we do it is our secret sauce yeah. and and as a result the value we're able to offer our customers relative to 
1500 of our closest friends is very <laughs> different uh, yeah. and right and that um for us it was a bit of a painful journey to get to that to to not do the me too thing um mm -hmm. but i would imagine that what you're describing this is not you might get lucky and it could happen in a day but sometimes um you, or a lot of times failures might be your best friend on that journey because you're going to find out a lot of things that are not going to work absolutely. when you're thinking laterally yes right? yep absolutely and it's that process of elimination that's so important you know just as i mentioned actually with me quitting my job i didn't know what the answer was but i knew what the answer wasn't and that is often something that's overlooked that process of elimination, learning what doesn't work is just as important as learning what does work. So changing gears just a little bit, we've a lot of what we've discussed, it, there's a seriousness to it. And you're also a laughter yoga course, which is the opposite of seriousness, <laughs> or maybe it's very serious. I, uh, <laughs> And, you know, I actually tried the little exercise that you did uh, in that TED talk. And, yeah. and it's, it is fascinating that uh, <laughs> if, if you're laughing for two minutes for no reason, yeah, you're probably going to be laughing for a little bit. It's, it's, I didn't think that would be true, actually. I was very skeptical. <laughs> yeah. yeah, most people are, yeah. So, um, but but how does, how did that come about? How did you, what's the connection? with yep. uh, ability to engage laughter yoga uh, and and the work that you're doing now what's yep. give us it's the a background. great question yeah it's a great question because it's not an obvious connection and it happened very organically um so when i quit my job i was also looking for ways to de-stress i was like i said incredibly stressed out because it was a huge transition in my life and i had no clue what the heck i was doing next and so um i was actually looking for uh, meditation and ways to de-stress. Okay. I was looking that kind of stuff up online. I ended up finding laughter yoga and I went to a class and I just went just to learn about it at the time. You know, I was somebody who went to yoga classes and loved yoga. This was about 10 years ago. Um, okay. so laughter yoga was something I'd never heard about. So, I mean, even now it's something that a lot of people have no, no clue about. They've never heard of it. You can imagine 10 years ago, um, you know, it was, really kind of unknown um but i went because i like yoga and i showed up i had like a yoga mat and the teacher's like oh you can put that in the corner you don't need that it was totally not you know like a typical yoga session as, as we think about it today um it is laughing as an exercise and so i ended up doing the you know full hour there for my first session absolutely loved it i was just you know at first Kind of thinking like what the heck did i get myself into like these people are crazy like this is like so awkward I oh think i think people will definitely think you're crazy if you think <laughs> yep, yep i mean look and when you if people watch the ted talk you know you you're you're gonna feel like it might be a little crazy but that audience was laughing and you know and everybody everybody can do it if you're open to it and so you know, I'm somebody who loves to laugh. Uh, I grew up in a household where there were, you know, lots of jokes and lots of laughter. And so for me, once I got over that kind of awkward and what the heck am I doing? This is so weird kind of feeling. And I was laughing. It just became very natural. I loved it, you know, participated for the full hour and I felt so good. 
afterwards. I mean, if you can imagine, right, when you think about some of your best memories, it's usually when you're laughing with friends, with yeah. family, right? And I'd laughed for a full hour. And so um, I ended up having like the best night of sleep that night. And so I also wow. realized that it was there was more to it. You know, it wasn't just the laughter in that moment. There were positive effects for my body. And so then that got me thinking about it more, looked it up a little bit more the next day, learned a little bit about, you know, what are some of the benefits to the body and everything with laughter. I decided to go to another class, you know, experience it again, see if, if I kind of felt the same way. And uh, at that class, the second class, the teacher announced that she was going to be doing a teacher session like, you know, so you could become an instructor. And so I signed up, not really actually to be an instructor, but because I just wanted to go deeper. I wanted to learn more about why the heck it sure. worked and all of that. Yeah. So that's how it happened. Wow. So is there, is there a connection between laughter and innovation? Absolutely. Yep. Yeah. So laughter, so the way it connects, and sorry, I didn't address this, the way it connects to my no, business. I'm, I'm just so, curious because it is so, uh, I'll admit until I uh, was, we were looking at you as a guest, I had not ever heard of laughter yoga. I didn't even know it was a yep. thing. Yeah. Right? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you and, and many people, um, I think are in that boat. Many people have not heard of laughter yoga. And so the way it connected to my business. So I did this as a personal journey. Laughter yoga was just for me. It was not intended to be a part of ability to engage at all, but people start asking me about it. And what is that? You know, like they saw that, let's say on my LinkedIn or on a bio somewhere, right. they started asking about it. Um, they were intrigued, wanted to learn more. And then, you know, the Ted talk um, that got a lot more interest. And so it has become an offering at A to E. Um, and the way that we do it is, you know, as an energizer, so it can really help at conferences. So I've done it a lot at different conferences as like the morning kickoff or a lunchtime type of thing as an energizer. Um, I've done it at yoga studios. I've done it for at-risk youth. I've done it at high schools. I mean, it really, if you think about it, um, laughter is a universal language, so it really can work for anybody. Um, I've done it at corporations and whatnot. So it really runs the gamut of, of all types of people and walks of life. In terms of how we end up connecting it to innovation, so part of what we use laughter yoga for is simply just this idea of engaging your audience, you know, getting people to be more in the moment and energize them. Oh, the it's an icebreaker. <laughs> yes, it is. Yes, it is. I mean, yes. you're not going to walk out of that session with, uh, there's going to be some breaking out of the shell just by participating yeah. in the process. And I would encourage people who are listening, uh, we'll put the links in the show notes, but uh, watch Ida's TED talk on it and just play along. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, and when you can do it with other people too, it's just so energizing. You know, laughter is contagious. And um, they say the shortest distance between two people is laughter. So, I mean, it's an amazing tool for team effectiveness, right? To get groups collaborating and working together. And the way we use it in innovation is that laughter can help open up the right side of the brain. The right side of the brain is connected to creative problem solving. And they've actually done studies that show that comedy and laughter, so not specifically laughter yoga, but that comedy and laughter can help people solve problems faster. They've, they've done research where they'll have people try to solve a problem, see how long it takes, and then have another group that watches a short video clip you know, of comedy for five or 10 minutes, and then go and try to solve the problems. And they're able to solve the problems faster. 
And so there is a connection as well between laughter and innovation. And again, it's really about opening up the right side of the brain that helps us with problem solving. Well, and you know, uh, I think it's one way to maybe uh, not take ourselves so seriously, get us out of that moment, if you will. Absolutely. If you're always serious, I think that's a detriment to innovation. I, I absolutely believe that because you're you're locked into something and uh, once you're locked into something, getting out of it becomes a problem. You need something that disrupts the pattern. Something has yeah. to be disruptive in, in the thought. So let me ask you this. Um, where I know you've been very generous with your time, but as a is there a parting gem of knowledge that you would like to leave everybody with? You you've been wonderful, Ida. It, it's no, uh, been you. a refreshing, uh, refreshing talk to to hear about your journey of entrepreneurship uh, and decision making and and lateral thinking and the great work you're doing at A2E. But is there is there something that you would like to leave? our entire audience yeah. with yeah absolutely i think that a lot of times and especially nowadays with uh, a lot of the negativity that we have in the world and just such uh, uncertain times there's a tendency for us to get stuck sometimes to not know what to do and i always remind myself that every moment is a chance to change your direction in life you know you're tomorrow can be completely different than today. And so if you're ever feeling stuck, I think just rem remember that you 100% have the ability to change the direction of your life, no matter you know what age you are or what circumstances you're in. If that's your desire and you put effort behind it, you absolutely can change things at any moment. And man, what a difference a week, a month, a year can make and so just remember that whatever you're feeling right now and if you're feeling stuck it's totally within your power to change that ida we look forward to having you come back sometime don't be a stranger here i think your concepts are very relevant to what we do and uh you know part of what we do is help we want to help people develop um and really appreciate your time and thank you for for joining us today Thank you for having me. This was a lot of fun, and I hope that uh, hopefully there are a few nuggets in there that will help your viewers. I I certainly believe that will be the case. 